Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. This episode, we talk with Scott McCain, who came from the same small town as John Mellencamp to go all the way to the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. He's the author of Create Distinction and the mind and the voice behind the podcast Project Distinct. We'll talk about creating distinction and how we can use it to create the ultimate customer experience. We talk about why it's hard to be distinct and how distinction is different than differentiation. We talk about the importance of story in becoming distinct. And listen to the part of the conversation where we talk about whether always trying to exceed client expectations is realistic or if it's an upward spiral that can actually get in your way. It's an interesting conversation where, we, where there are lots of really good tips about how you can stand out from other advisors. And so without any further delay, here he is, Scott McCain. And so before, Scott, you have a chance to say anything else. Um, it's, this is not my line, but I think of you every time I hear it. I just want a great big bed made of your voice. <laughs> so well, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast, Scott, Mc, uh, Scott McCain. Even what, what an intro. That. <laughs> That's trend. I have if to go over else, that intro, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, it's distinctive, right? Well, that's, well, and that brings us to our topic of today, right? No, I, thank you very much for joining us. I'm, I'm so excited. I, I'm so excited to talk with you because I read your stuff and I've seen you speak and it's, and it's, and it's stuff that, that's the kind of thing I wish I could express to advisors and you just do it so much better. So let's start right into this, Scott. Um, you know, you, your whole message is about creating distinction. So why don't we start off by you telling us what distinction means to you? Well, I, I think distinction is, particularly for financial advisors, it's, it's the point in your practice where prospects and customers are attracted to you because of what you stand for, because of who you are, because of what you represent in the marketplace. And I guess, you know, part of that, too, is it's not only what you stand for, but what you don't stand for. Uh, you, you have created an ideal client, and everything about your practice uh, creates that, that, that feeling of distinction, and, and investors and clients of distinction seek that out in their advisor. Yet, part of what's so fascinating to me, and I'm, I've, I've never been an advisor, I'm, I'm just a client, you know, and, and part of what's fascinating to me is how the career of an advisor progresses, where at the beginning, you know, if you've got a few bucks in the mirror, you are a prospect. And, and That's right. what happens, right? And, and so what happens over a period of time is uh, you see some advisors that have never gotten out of that mode of trying to be all things to all people, the mentality that launched the practice. And, and part of what I love about your work, Steve, is is in terms of how you attract referrals. I, I see so many folks talking about how you pursue referrals, and I love where your language says about attracting them. And I think that's what distinction does. It, it recognizes that the clients you attract and the referrals you attract are, are infinitely more valuable over the long haul than the ones that you've had to pursue. Well, and you, you – know, I'm, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I've, let me finish the thought. No, and, and I, I think that that's rarefied air. Uh, few advisors get there, but the ones that do, and that's what fascinated me. What was the process that enabled some advisors to get there and some organizations to get there where, where others seem to be doing an okay job but just were missing the mark? And and so why do, why do you think, apart from just the whole uh, the whole the whole background of you know starting with what I call the accidental practice. 
Um, why, why, why do you think advisors find it hard to be distinct? I think there's a couple things. I, I, I think one is that you begin in such a non-distinct way that the, the very aspects that will separate you from the pack um, are, are those things that you don't get in typical training. And it's those things that you, unless something happens along the way that triggers you to, to make your practice more distinctive, to understand that you can't proceed by being all things to all people, you know, no one is loyal to a generic. No one has ever said, I love my financial advisor. She's exactly like every other one. <laughs> <laughs> it's finding those unique aspects that will make you stand out. But yet at the very beginning, that's, that's where you often get the most pushback, right? I mean, because of compliance issues in, in the industry, because of so many other things, it, it's geared up. It's kind of the tall poppy syndrome at the very beginning. If you stand out, that's 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 who we want to cut down. And and but yet over the course of a practice development, um, it, it, it's exactly those aspects that that will separate you from the pack. And it, really, if you just pick up on something you said and it, make sure I heard it correctly, it, it essentially sounded like you said until you know what you stand for, it's hard to stand out. Like it started with what you stand for. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I think it's a really interesting concept that we don't think about a lot. Well, Julie, I, I, I think part of what happens is that some advisors, I, I met an advisor one time and she only works with people involved with the sport of polo. And if if you don't own a polo pony or if you're not a participant or, you know, in, involved in the sport in some way, then she'll refer you to another advisor because she's isolated her practice on a few select clients that are involved in polo. Now, you know, obviously, if you're in polo, you, you, you are an affluent individual. I mean, right. <laughs> sure. With people that, that bowl, you know, I mean, you know, you've targeted a, a very select market. But instantly, that person becomes, to, to your expertise, it, it becomes very referable. But, but also, it says, this is who I am, which means I understand. You know, I, I, I work with some advisors who, who focus on surgeons. And part of the strength of that is that you know the surgeons get to the hospital about 5 a.m., which means if you want to take them to lunch, it's probably going to be 10 or 10.30 a.m., not noon. Or if you, you know, want to visit them, then a good time to be there is 2.30, not 5 o'clock. Uh, some of the things that, that the, the advisor that tries to be all things to all people might not understand. So the, the pushback I get sometimes is, well, I can't focus only on surgeons. Well, that's okay. Maybe you also want to f- focus on, you know, the general practitioners. But you, you don't advertise that I'm all things to all people. The surgeon thinks that. You only do surgeons. The GP thinks you do GPs. You you find ways to say this is where I am, rather than trying to be involved in in, in everything. Uh, I've had advisors say, well, what if you know what what if this small client wins the lottery? I, I, they literally say that, and I think, oh, yeah. well, then you should, you should yeah. be prospecting at the convenience store, right? <laughs> There's a new strategy. That's a blog post right there. <laughs> I'm big at 7-Eleven. <laughs> I, I see so many advisors who don't understand. And, and the other aspect is this. Uh, I, I was on a program several years ago, and one of the other speakers, and I, I would give anything if I would have 
you know, followed up and gotten the name and gotten all this. But I was in the audience, and I will never forget what he said. He was with Accenture Consulting, and they'd done a project for UBS. Why did UBS have a dominant market share in Europe of the ultra-high net worth investor that they don't have in the United States? And, and part of what their study had concluded was that what they were doing in Europe, for example, they would enter into the database how the client drank their coffee so that when they would come in the office, without even asking, they would just set a cup of coffee in front of the client already prepared to his or her taste. Well, I don't know about you, but if somebody knows how I drink my coffee, it's almost subliminal. Well, they know me. Right? They, they would find out the, the favorite artist of, of that particular client, and, and they would have prints of that particular artist on the walls of the conference room. They would find out the favorite music, and that's what's playing in the office when they come in to, to talk. Uh, that sounds, you know, it, it sounds incredible, but I, I did another project trying to find out why, you know, why did A-plus, what were A-plus advisors doing that A-minus advisors in terms of production weren't? And, and everything we found about the A-plus advisor was they were more like a concierge. They, they, they had a very specific group of, of, of targets and an ideal client, and, and then they served all of their needs, not just their financial needs, and it made them distinctive in, in the minds of their clients. It strikes me, this is a follow-up to that, that, that who you choose has to be authentic. It's one thing for me to say, I'm going to target polo players. And if a polo player asks me why, and my only response is, well, you seem pretty wealthy as a group. You know, <laughs> it's not going to That's be, right. it's not going to resonate. So I must have some connection to polo, to sport, to, to something mm-hmm. in there uh, as well. Is that, I mean, is that a fair point? Oh, it's it's an extraordinary point. You're you're exactly right. Um, there, there was an advisor meeting, and, and not all of my business is in financial services, but I've had some extraordinary experiences because of my exposure to the industry that that you folks deal in all the time. You know, I'm I'm just kind of the I'm I'm the client. I'm I'm trying to say this is what I found from my research on distinction, and and this is what I know as a client. And um, there, there was a guy, and he was beginning a second career. He had he had been. Uh, an Air Force pilot, and was beginning a second career now that he'd retired as a financial advisor. And one of the things I talk about is the importance of clarity in your practice. What do you say when someone says, what do you do? And part of the phrase that we came up with for him that really had traction with him is he he, he started saying, I fly people through financial turbulence, (laughs) which I thought was a great line. But it also was, to your point, it was very congruent with him because he understood how turbulence upset passengers on a plane and, ha- and how he had fought turbulence before. And during times of market volatility, the fact that he understood turbulence and he could use that as the metaphor for how he was going to help you avoid a turbulent market uh, really had congruency. It's, it's part of who he, who he really is as a person. And, and I agree. I, I don't sooner or later clients see through this and, and, Particularly with those of affluence, it's it's usually sooner. And if we're not transparent and if we're not congruent, uh, it, it, it's a detriment rather than a strength to our practice. And Scott, uh, you're sort of getting at it here with with some of that very specific language. But uh, um, can you can you address the issue of of people who attempt to differentiate themselves based on outstanding service and how that's different from distinction? 
Oh, I, I appreciate the question, Steve. That's yeah, that, that's one of my pet peeves, as as you know, because you've heard the presentation. It's um, we did a research uh, project for a, a particular financial firm, and uh, we we asked advisors. The, the basic question was: If I moved to your community, wanted somebody local to be my advisor, uh, why would I pick you? What would make you stand out? Eighty percent of advisors said our client service makes us different. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, we have the same data, by the way. <laughs> right, sure. It's like the old statistic that you know, 80% of us think we're better than average drivers. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> 80% of us can't be better than average. That's, that's kind of the definition. So 80% of you know, can't, it, it can't make you different, right? So part of part of what happens is we and picture this from the client's perspective too if if i'm talking to several advisors as a prospect and all of them say their client experience makes them stand out then you've just commoditized the client experience because you haven't expressed how your experience is different or distinctive or superior and so what I'm encouraging advisors to do is to begin with clarity. As we researched it, we found there were four basic cornerstones to distinction, and the initial cornerstone is clarity. You've got to be crystal clear about who you are, what you stand for, what is the strength of your practice. And the fundamental reason for that is you can't differentiate what you can't define, right? If you can't tell me what is unique about your practice, I specialize in surgeons or polo players, or we, you know, there's some aspect about my experience in the past, or this is unique, or if, if, you, if you can't define that, how in the world do you expect a, a prospect to be able to understand what's compelling about having you manage my money? And, and if, if you can't do that, how do I have the language that enables me to, in, in, into your specialty, you know, in, into the language that helps me refer the practice as a client to a friend? And, and I, I see so many advisors that say, you know, what makes me stand out is I beat the market by 3%. Or what makes me stand out is we have great client service. And I'm not saying that you don't have great client service. That, that's not the point at all. The point is from the client's perspective, that doesn't distinguish you in the marketplace. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I mean, why, do you, why do you think this clarity is such... A challenge, and I don't know if it's unique to our industry, but it's it seems to demand a level of introspection that can be really challenging for people. Uh, you you hit the nail on the head, Julie. I think it, it it is that introspection that that is so challenging for us. Um, according to some reports, at, at the time I was working with them, I, I haven't looked lately, but uh, the seventh largest financial institution in the United States is a is a company called CoBank. Uh, it's bank for cooperatives. They they lend money to electric utility cooperatives and agricultural cooperatives and building cooperatives. And the CEO of CoBank, who just recently retired, his name is Bob Engel, uh, formerly HSBC, he, he told me this clarity process was the single hardest thing he had ever done as an executive. And, and I, I think part of it is because in any organization, um, even the even organizations not involved in financial services, it, it ends up sounding like a committee report. Everybody wants their their little nudge in there, you know. Through great client experience, we provide superior returns for investors who are interested in stability. And to, you know, it, 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 it sounds like it's written by a committee, right? Um, 
The, the other thing that's hard is, and I, I think this is the parallel that we talked about earlier, in, in the very beginning of, of everyone's career as a financial advisor, everyone's a prospect. And, and because most of the advisors I've met are really good people, and so you hear somebody say, you know, you get you got to call your book and, and you've got to prioritize your clients, and and people don't like dropping clients. And so it, the whole thing about clarity also means we have to be very precise about what we are not. And as our practice changes, some of those clients that we acquired earlier don't fit into the clarity model of our business. And it's it, it's not easy. It is difficult, and and therefore many of us take the path of least resistance. And you know we'd we'd rather have a book of you know X number than a very clear, defined, precise book of, of a smaller number of Y. Well, one of the things, one of the other cornerstones that you point out is is creativity. And and first, I know that creativity is hard. Um, so that's one obstacle. But one of the other obstacles is is the you know the the regulatory regime. You know how heavily regulated the financial services industry is. What what kinds of ideas could you share with advisors on how they can be creative still within the uh, regulatory framework of the business? Great question. I, I think one of the problems, Steve, is that cl- the clarity is the first one, and creativity is the second one. And because we don't get clear to begin with then anytime we try something creative, it, it doesn't gain us traction with clients. And, and so we just keep doing what we've always done, right? Because we know, we, we think anyway, that that's going to continue to work. Um, creativity in financial services doesn't mean that we're not compliant. It doesn't mean that we're not doing anything, you know, we don't have to do anything wild. And, and the other thing I, I've, I've discovered is many times advisors think that creativity means undisciplined or chaotic or wild and and it's really not it's it's just finding a small way to tweak the, the example that i use it's not a financial services example but I, I hope it illustrates the point is that in if you have a rental car business the ford that hurts rents is identical to the ford that avis rents there is zero product variation now what i suggest to advisors is in many situations the mutual fund that advisor a recommends isn't any different. <laughs> I can still buy that same mutual fund from advisor B as well. So there's, there's, there's limited product variation as well. So how, how do you differentiate yourself? How, how do you set yourself apart in that? Well, uh, the Taylor family is starting a small rental car business years ago in St. Louis. They made a list of every point of contact that a rental car agency would have with a customer. And it's in my book, Create Distinction. There were 13 points that they came up with. And I encourage advisors to do the same. What, what's every point of contact that you could have with, with a customer, a client, a, a, a prospect? Uh, Harvard recently wrote in business in general, only 16% of professionals even have the list. Right? What, what are the points of contact? Some will be ones we don't necessarily think of ordinarily. Um, a, a church, a mosque, a synagogue, um, a, a community event. We sponsor a little league team. You know, it's put them all down. That's what the Taylor family did. They put them all down, came up to 13, and then they picked one and said, let's tweak it and be creative at this one point. Many listeners I know are already ahead of me because the Taylor family still owns that little rental car business they started in St. Louis that they named Enterprise Rental Car. 
Hmm. And obviously, the one the one creative point is how does the customer access the product? They just said, what if we took the car to them rather than making the customer come get the car from us? So when I rent from Hertz, I have to go to their counter. Enterprise brings the car to me, and that one little creative tweak. The enterprise is now, as as you know, bigger than Hertz. They're the, they're the they're the biggest in the industry. They're the largest. And it's not because the product is different. It was because they found a creative way to to, to get to the customer. Hmm. I think the same is true. In, in uh, I visited one advisor many years ago in, in Corpus Christi, Texas. He's got an amazing practice. He's, he was, a, at that time, a top producer for Merrill Lynch. And when I walked in his office, he's stuffing books in envelopes. He's signing books. And I said, oh, have you written? And as soon as I said, have you written, I realized he was signing someone else's Bill Gates book. He said, hmm. he said my, my top 25 clients, we have a monthly book club. And I go out every month, I buy 25 books, and I read the book first, and then I inscribe the front of the book with the part of the book I think will apply to that specific client. And I send them a book every month. Well, how loyal do you think those top 25 are that every month get a business book that has in the front an inscription of make certain on page 118 you read the part about, right? And, and they get that every month. Now, that's compliant, and that's unique, and that builds loyalty. And I can imagine being in you know, a friend's office, and there's the new Bill Gates book. At that time, it was new, laying on the, on the desk. And you say, hey, how's that book? You say, well, my, my advisor sent it to me. Here, look, right? And, and so it begins the process of creativity solidifying the relationship. Now, any advisor can do that. I've only met one that does. Well, right, and and that actually brings us to to that next cornerstone, which is that that customer experience focus. So, if a, if an advisor was going to work on starting to create distinction, how how would they begin to look at their experience to try to hone it down to something that will help them be distinct? You know, it, it's it's trying to look at it, and this is part of where it's and part of what I love about what you folks talk about, man. What, what you preach, Steve, is like the client advisory board, uh, finding a way, uh, it, which, which I, man, I'm, I'm such a fan of, of what you talk about, and, and, and that is just one of the points I think is so incredibly important, because how, how do you find a way to see your practice through the client's perspective? Like, this is not uncommon. I mean, it's, it, it, I find it true in every business. Uh, you know, when I'm working with the tech folks, uh, the techies tend to design features that will appeal to other techies that do what they do as opposed to how does the end user use it conveniently. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 it's not uncommon, but we tend to view our practice. For example, uh, I, I had a situation in Washington, D.C. where we were talking about exactly the, the question that you raised. And part of what this particular advisor understood was he thought the client experience began when the client walked in the office door and they were based in downtown Washington. And he realized that for, for example, a client that's a widow, uh, the experience began when the taxi let her out on the street corner and she had to walk in the building and get in the elevator or she had to park in the parking garage and walk alone to the parking garage elevator that would take her to the lobby, that would take her to the elevator, that would take her to the office. And part of what they started doing at their practice was, you know, either the advisor or the client associate would would meet them at the 
at the parking garage or would meet them at the lobby front door or would arrange an Uber to pick them up and then drop them off and so they could track when the car was going to get there. So they met the client at the beginning. My, my good friend, many of you have heard Joel Weldon has a great line, and, and he'll ask the audience, how many of you have ever been bitten by an elephant? Well, no one raises their hand. <laughs> Joel will pause for a fact and say, well, how many have been bitten by a mosquito? And everyone raises their hand, and Joel says, it's the little thing that gets you. <laughs> 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 That's great. That's I awesome. That. I, 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 and and I, I find that in the client experience focus, is that when we're obsessed by what does it feel like, what is it... You know, what is the experience? And it's those little things. It is, you know, all of us could, could get on Uber and order an Uber for the, the client in a, in, a, in a metropolitan area and then know exactly when they're going to get there. So the client associate welcomes them into the lobby and walks them into the... Uh, we, could, we could all do that. But so few of us do because we major in minor things sometimes, you know, as opposed to the little things that would create such a compelling experience for the client that, that they couldn't wait to tell their, their friends about it. And I guess you could you could argue that the client experience really started when the person even thought about getting financial advice, right? So I mean, you can, can exactly. kind of take it back and, and really work through exactly that level of detail every step of the way. Julie, the three most important words I've, I've ever found in creating that experience is, and then what, right? So the prospect is considering getting financial advice, and then what? Right? How do I get in front of them? Right? What do I? Yeah. So they they first see something about our practice. Well, what what do they need to see? Well, they see something about it. And then what? And and when we when we keep asking that question, and then what? You know, it, it's funny. If we were going to make a movie, we would never think about uh, casting the actors and hiring the technical professionals to do the sound of the lights and leasing the camera equipment and then build the sets and then get everybody together and say, okay, what's this movie going to be about? <laughs> right? <laughs> to begin with, this is, this is the communication. This is the dialogue. This is what we're going to say, and then everything else would spring from that. Yeah. Yet, uh, it, it, when we become financial advisors, we... we we launch our practice and we get so involved in doing what we do that we haven't really taken the time to step back and think about what we do. And, and you know, I, I, Steve, I hope you don't mind me saying, I, I, I think that's your role and I think it's my role is to help get these folks to that 30,000 feet, you know, not because we're, you ignore the details, you ignore the, the, the daily grind and activity that a lot of advisors face, but it's, that's where I see advisors uh, having challenges and having problems is because they haven't done those little things like, you know, and then what? what you know, the client is coming to see me, and then what? How am I going to meet them? How am I going to, to to really get to the point that their practice is so unique and so distinctive that, that it stands out from other advisors and they become the, the advisory choice? Mm-hmm. That whole client experience thing lead, leads me to something, and, and I'd like to maybe have a friendly debate with you about this. One one of the things that you talk about is uh, is delivering more than you uh, delivering more than you promise. And um, one of the challenges, you know, I, I hear a lot of people about you know creating a wow experience and going above and beyond. And one of the challenges that I have is that um, if if you if you consistently deliver a certain level of service that may be beyond their expectations what you end up doing is just resetting their expectations. And while that's good, 
there's a limit to that. You can't continue. If, if, and it, it's one thing if you rent a car from someone once every year, once every couple of years, you know, you're only going to have so many experiences with them. But if you're with an advisor, you know, the advisor at least is hoping that you're going to have a relationship for 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 years. And so how, how do you, how do you systematically exceed expectations when you've got a long-term kind of relationship like that? And it's not transactional. That's a terrific point, and part of part of the challenge that I have in that is that typically when advisors say, you know, we exceed client expectations, one of the challenges that I have with that is that I will follow up and I will say, great, tell me specifically about this client. What is their expectation? Well, I think that, the, no, <laughs> you can't exceed an expectation of which you are unaware, right? We... Exceeding an expectation also means that we've worked with the client to define what those expectations are, and they're not the same for every client. As we well know, clients are different from one another. They have different risk tolerances. They have many different you know, aspects and, and peculiarities about them that we need to understand. I, I do believe that behavior rewarded is behavior repeated, as Dr. Michael LaBeouf says in, in, in his book, uh, but, but the, the challenge is, as Dr. LaBeouf points out, is that it's exactly the phenomenon that you talked about. When we when we reward their expectations, then they just repeat it and set higher expectations. Here's here's my side of it. it, and I believe that I believe my mom was wrong. Mom always said familiarity breeds contempt. That's wrong. The longer you're my advisor, it doesn't mean that I hold you in scorn. Mm-hmm. Familiarity mm-hmm. does not breed sure. contempt. The problem is that familiarity breeds complacency. Mm. And so if all you're doing is serving me for a decade in the way that you've always served me, then then you might have become complacent in the level of experience that you're delivering for me. And I know that certainly as a client, I become complacent about what you were delivering. So something happens in my financial life, and now I've got a little bit more money to invest. So that's when I might sample the experience from another advisor, it's it's that shiny new object, right? It's, it's you know, I, I, well, I, let's see, let's see what happens. And in many clients, I believe erroneously think that diversity among advisors means diversity in portfolio, and it, it, and we know that it doesn't. But you know, yeah, I'm diversified. I've got three different people managing my money. Um, <laughs> right, that that right, that's sure, the shiny object. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Advisor, and now I'm really diversified, and and they've all got they've all got the client in the same thing, and the client doesn't have portfolio diversity; they just have diversity in terms of financial advisors, and and I think that's where part of this comes from. I, I'm not saying that. Uh, first of all, I, you can't exceed an expectation of which you're unaware, which means you have to have a conversation with clients about, you know, help me understand what what do you expect from an advisor? How how can we deliver an ultimate client experience? And then finding ways to tweak that. Again, it's not that you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and blowing everything up and that. It's it's just continually trying to raise your game so that you're doing something that that is an element that, that shows the client that you are passionate about the experience that you're creating for them. Well, we, we, you know, we joke about this you know, every so often, but, but actually it turns out it's true. Having, having a client is really like being married, and you've got to keep it fresh every once in a while, right? 
such a yeah, that's a great. <laughs> I'm not going to mention that to my wife. Yeah, right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> not unless you want to become her financial advisor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Every time she every time she comes to a speech and she hears me talking about that familiarity breeds complacency, you know, get this wink from the back of the room. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whoops. What you preach, pal? You yeah, know? right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, well, listen, I, I want to get at least one more question in because um, I'm interested in your perspective on this. You know, how has how has the Internet affected becoming distinct? Well, I, I had the greatest. It was in another industry, it's in the automotive industry. And, and I said, uh, is the Internet impacting your sales? And, and the national sales manager of a big automotive company said, yeah, it's impacting our sales. We can't get our people off of Facebook to go out and it's <laughs> 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 a good line. Uh, it, it is, I, I think this is a sea change in some things. Um, the advisors with the most experience are also those advisors that were, you know, brought up, grew up in the industry in a time where you were the source of information. The client came to you for information because the advisor had access to information that at that point either wasn't available or wasn't accessible to the client. That's gone. Clients now, you know, a doctor buddy of mine says that uh, his first five minutes with every patient is convincing you that what you read on WebMD may not be what you have. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? It's on WebMD. I got a brain tumor, right? Again, what else? Could, and, and, I think advisors are in a very similar situation where you have clients that are on, you know, on the internet all the time and they see things and, you know, and, and what has shifted, I think, in, for many practices is that what, what your clients are seeking is insight where before they were seeking information. Um, I, I was having dinner with the CEO of BMW for the United Kingdom, and he said six years ago, our average BMW customer, and part of why I'm telling this is, think of it, so the BMW customer is probably the same person that's the client of the advisors that are listening to this program, right? So the, the average BMW customer six years ago made six dealership visits before a purchase decision. Not, not just at the BMW dealership, they would go drive a Porsche if they were one of the sports car, or they'd drive an Audi, or they would drive a Mercedes, or, you know, Lexus took six dealership business to get to a purchase decision. Today, it's 1.3. Mm. And I mm. said, why? Why the difference? He said, they don't need the dealership for information anymore. Sure. Google yep. the cars, right? They they come in with information. Now they're looking for insight. Help me understand why. Is this the right choice? Is this the and, and that's a fundamental shift in communication and it's a fundamental shift in the practice. Is that advisors now that are the best at, at delivering insight to clients that helps them process the information that they've already received, uh, are are really going to have a leg up in the marketplace as opposed to those that used to, you know, that are still in that old way of thinking, which is that I need to tell you, I need to inform you. you know, clients, clients today are, are, you know, they, they have access to infinitely more information. I, I think that's the fundamental change. You know, we, yes, robo-advising, yes, all the other things are, are, are critical. But I think the easiest one to overlook is the fundamental change between information and insight in terms of what the client wants the advisor to deliver. Mm. 
Yep. Yeah, that's, you know, it, it's a great point. Well, Scott, there's so much great stuff you have to tell and so much to share, but um, we're actually a little bit. Julie, did you want to ask anything else before we go? I want to ask about a hundred more things, but I know. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm trying to be respectful here. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I just want to say too, I'm such a fan of your podcast. I got introduced to it. You, you had my pal David Meerman Scott on. Uh, oh yeah, right. we love that conversation. Yeah, it was a, great. Oh, idiot, idiot, fabulous. It was a great conversation you had with him. And, and yeah, so, uh, thank you so much for for letting. Well, me thanks for coming with us. I, I, I've enjoyed this conversation as much as our conversation with David, and 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 I, I love. Your presentation is as just like I, I I love his and and everybody needs to read to read Create Distinction and and people should listen to the the Project Distinct podcast. But um, if people were going to try to connect with you, Scott, where would they go looking for you? Uh, the the best place is just to go scottmccain.com. It's not like the senator from Arizona. I spell it M C K A I N, but scottmccain.com will have links to everything and. Uh, you know all the information, all the access to books and everything. So thank you for for passing us. Well, and and thank you very much for joining us here on the Becoming Referable podcast. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.